welcome to Pursuit Church Podcast, where we give those far from God the opportunity to pursue Christ. We are so glad you are here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe God has a word for you through today's message. Welcome everyone to Pursuit. We're so very happy that you can join us this morning. I I know I said it Wednesday, my grandmother wasn't here, but I'd like to just testify on her behalf because God is so good, but my grandma Sue is cancer-free because God does work, Jesus does answer prayers, and whatever you need this morning, whatever you're hungry for, whatever you're in need for the Lord, the same God, this same Jesus is with us here this morning, and we're we're just rejoicing with what God is doing in the midst of us, even in 2022. Before you're seated, I want to look in the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 6, 7, and 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, 7, and 8. And thank you guys for leading us into worship this morning. They do such a wonderful job, Chance. I love his worship, my wonderful wife. All those roses back there, or, oh, she actually bought those for you guys. <laughs> I've got something for you for Valentine's Day, don't worry. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, 7, and 8, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man, one man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, this Sunday, before everyone celebrates Valentine's Day, I want to speak on how he loves us, how Jesus loves us. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. As we all understand this morning, the cross stands as the centerpiece of the Bible. Everything in the Old Testament directs our eyes towards the cross, and everything else is dramatically influenced by what happened on that old rugged cross. The cross and all of its beauty and all of its tragedy represents the single greatest act of God in all of time and eternity. The cross was a plan that was in the mind of God from the very foundations of the earth. When God said in Genesis, let us make man in our own image, he already had the cross in his mind. As he reached into the dirt of a newly formed earth and he began to make man in his own image, he already had the cross on his mind. At the very beginning, he looked through time and he saw the cross. He envisioned the broken body that he would make for himself and in the supreme act of love, the creator, even as he was making his creation purposed in his heart to give his life for us on the cross. There is no greater truth this morning than the revelation of God's love that is fully demonstrated at the cross. And outside of just knowing and believing in God, the greatest revelation, the greatest fact about this God, the God of the world, is that he simply loves you. 
and he wants you to know that, and he wants you to believe that he loves you. And today, the Sunday before Valentine's Day, I want to convince the church, I want to prove to the church today that this Jesus really loves you. Now, I'm sure you're familiar today with the story of Adam and Eve. I'm sure you remember from Sunday school, maybe those stories at a very young age about how God created a perfect paradise in the Garden of Eden and how he reached into the dust of the earth and formed a man, breathing life into that man, making him the ruler over all that God had created. He created a actual paradise. It's, it was nothing like the world we see today. It's nothing like the world we live in today. It was an absolute paradise. And Adam had everything that he could ever want. Every need was met in that garden. Every desire was fulfilled. That is, with one exception. Adam longed for companionship. Somewhere inside of Adam was a deep desire for more than just fellowship with God. He longed for an intimate relationship with someone on his own level. He longed to sit and talk with someone who felt the same things he felt, who experienced the same things he experienced, someone who would understand him only like a co-equal could. And so God saw this and how Adam was lonely and how Adam needed help and somebody to just share his life with. And so God caused a deep sleep over Adam and he took from his side a rib and he fashioned from that rib a human being, a companion, a helpmate. And the woman was created. All the men say amen. When Adam looked into the eyes of that lovely woman that God had made him, he knew that she was what he was missing. And Eve, Adam found the companionship that he desired. She became his wife, his best friend, his soulmate. She was everything that he could have ever dreamed of. And together by God's design, they became one, one flesh, and they were the absolute perfect couple along with their very close relationship with God. They had a wonderful, flawless love for each other. There was, however, a stipulation. See, God put a particular tree in the middle of that garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he gave Adam some very simple instructions. You can eat from any tree in this entire garden, Adam, but if you eat of this tree, of the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. And the reason that God did this is because he desired fellowship with his creation, but there's no true fellowship if it's forced. And so God had to put something in the garden that they weren't supposed to partake of. And it was up to them to choose God every single day instead of that forbidden fruit. And God gave humans the responsibility of choice. And in order to remain in fellowship with him, they must choose him every single day instead of what God told them to stay away from. Of course, we know the whole story the, that 
serpent shows up and he's the craftiest of all animals and he comes with his persuasive words and in a moment of weakness as the serpent made up his lies, Eve made a very, very bad decision acting upon the compulsion of her flesh, deceived by the serpent, enticed by the appearance of that. Maybe it's just shining in the light, that piece of fruit. It looks so lovely. And Eve took that fruit and took a bite of that forbidden fruit. And then perhaps realizing what she had just done, she gave the fruit to Adam. See, church, Adam knew the consequences He was not so deceived. He knew what Eve had done. He knew the consequences of her actions. He knew that it would result in her death. And in that moment, he knew that he was about to lose the love of his life. And he was faced with an inconceivable choice. Have you ever thought about it, church? The fruit was not Adam's weakness. Eve was Adam's weakness. Maybe we don't think about it much, but the truth is that he had to decide in that moment between the relationship with Eve and the relationship with God. And Adam, out of his great love for Eve, deliberately chose the fellowship of Eve over that of God. And when he did, he willingly broke his fellowship with God. And Adam chose to eat the fruit and he chose to sin out of his great love for his bride that God had given to him. He chose to stand with her in judgment. He he chose to suffer the same fate as his wife. See, they were both tempted and they both gave in. They both chose death over life. They both chose this world over the fellowship with God and thus sin entered the world. Romans chapter 5 verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. And since that day, since the fall, the falling hasn't stopped. Since we've started to sin, the sinning hasn't ceased. But Romans 5 and 19 continues saying, But by the obedience of one, many shall be made righteous. On that day in the garden when Adam was faced with the possibility of losing his wife, he chose to stand with her, to share in her judgment, to help bear the burden of her sin. Now, he couldn't stand in judgment for her. He could not remove the judgment that would surely come upon her, but he chose instead to walk with her and and beside her and to endure the sorrow and the pain And he did this because he couldn't stand to lose her. But what he did not understand, Adam, what Adam did not understand is when he chose to eat the fruit of the tree, God suffered the same type of loss that Adam had avoided. See, God, in a sense, lost his bride that day. Scripture presents the relationship between God and his church as a bride and a groom. When humanity fell into sin, it was the same to God as it was when Adam and and Eve had sinned. God felt that same loss in his heart. But church, if I can try to get you to understand this today, listen to this. You've got to get this. God felt the same loss when man fell into sin 
What did God do? He did the same thing Adam did. See, Jesus was the second Adam, and Jesus too chose the bride. He thought, how can I get my bride back? How can I fix the problem that my bride has caused? And God and I had an idea, and he thought to himself, you know, I will robe myself in flesh. I will come off of my throne. I will endure the penalty. I will suffer death just to save my bride. He chose, just as Adam did, to die with his bride. Now, of course, the distinction between Adam is, and, and Jesus is that Jesus didn't sin. He never sinned. He was merely God in flesh. He was perfect. But because he was God, the death of Jesus possesses some powerful, powerful thing that can free us from sin. Adam died in sin and guilt, but Jesus died in innocence. And because of this, the blood of Jesus has the power to remit all sins. In Adam's human mind, his death was the only way to somehow maintain a relationship with Eve, so he gave in to sin, and he just allowed it to happen. However, in the plan of God, it was the death of the second Adam that would have the power to break the stronghold of sin. See, Jesus was tempted in all points, just like us, but he was without sin. And when he went to the cross, he carried the weight of all the sin of the whole entire world. His death was the atonement for all the sins. Heaven's spotless lamb died one time that all of humanity might have life and might have life more abundantly. He, through his death, restored what Adam had lost. He restored the fellowship between us and God. The greatest love story of all the ages started in the Garden of Eden and culminated at the cross. Adam chose Eve because his love for her was a love that was willing to suffer death with her in order not to be separated from her. However, God still had a plan, and he still loved his creation so much that he, like Adam, chose to die with his bride in order to redeem her from sin. The blood that flowed down Calvary's tree 2,000 years ago was the product of a pure, undefiled love. The blood was a sign that he still loves us. The blood was his plan, church. The blood represents everlasting life today. The blood has redeemed us. The blood has bought us. The blood has saved us. He says, I'll give my life. I will shed my blood. For God so loved the world, he gave us his blood. It led him to a bloody cross. What do you mean you don't think God loves you today? 
What do you mean there's no hope for you? What do you mean you have fallen too low? What do you mean you're too messed up or too dirty or too far off? Have you not heard about the cross? Do you not know about the blood on the cross? It cleanses, it washes, it redeems, it heals, it changes everything, friend. It changes everything. And when Jesus came, he was not just any man, he was God, the same God who will soon judge the whole world. And he wanted his bride to be ready. And so when we were yet without strength, when we were sinful, when we had found ourselves on the threshold of judgment, when we were absolutely powerless to change our course, when we were bound by sin and we didn't have enough strength nor power to cast it from us, Christ died for us. He died in our place. That's the wonder of the cross today. That's how much he loves you, that Jesus Christ in due time gave his life for you and I, the unrighteous, the undeserving. That's why I get excited when we worship. That's why I get excited when we praise because I've been redeemed. It's a song from the redeemed. It's a worship from the redeemed. He saved me. I, I was going nowhere good, but he saved me. Thank you, Jesus. Paul says, God commendeth his love toward us. That word commendeth means to show or to prove. We catch a glimpse in our scripture today of the greatest love that humanity could possess and that a man would lay down his life for another man. But then we see by comparison the extraordinary love of a God that greatly exceeds the love of a man and that while we were yet sinners and we were against God and we may not have been friends with God and maybe we even said words against God and against the church and, and we weren't innocent and we didn't deserve his love or mercy while we were yet sinners and messed up God loved us. This is the message, church. Christ died for us. Paul was trying to paint this picture. God proves his love at the cross. He was doing all that he could do to prove his love. There's no greater love than that that was shown at the cross. Now, here's the great thing about our text today. The active verb here, commendeth is in present tense. What that means for you and I today is that God is continually establishing his love for us in the vision of the cross. In other words, it's not just you and I that remembers the cross, but he remembers the cross. He looks back at the cross. He looks back at the blood that he shed and he reminds himself, church, there was a reason I did it. It wasn't purposeless. It wasn't pointless, but I did it so the world would have a savior. I took care of their sins. I took care of the failures. I took care of the shortcomings. And as he's looking back at the cross and we're looking back at the cross, 
We remember it's what changed everything. It's what brought us back into fellowship. It redeemed us. It saved us. Thank God today for the cross. Thank God today for the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. There is no more striking example of the great love of God than the old rugged cross and the terrible, tragic death that purchased our freedom when we were yet without strength when we didn't have the ability God robed himself in flesh you know they beat him they mocked him they spit on him his robes were torn asunder and they placed a, a crown of thorns on him and they nailed his feet and they nailed his hands all because he loves you this morning I've come to a uh, to give you a simple message. Jesus still loves you. And it's this one revelation. It's this one understanding that has even kept myself in the faith. It's kept me in the church. It's, it's the belief that God really loves me. This, this belief, this revelation, this understanding brings me back to the altar. It's what brings me back to repentance. It's what causes me to worship. It's what causes me to praise. It, it helps me to want to do the right things in life and, and serve him with all my heart because this Jesus really loves me. Do you believe it this morning, church? This Jesus really loves you. I'm almost finished. The blood of Jesus is mighty, powerful to save. The blood of Jesus washes everything away. And his mercy is here today. And if you have a burden, you have something that you're carrying today, some kind of baggage or anything, you can cast it upon him today. I was looking at some verses this morning about casting our cares upon him and I was looking at what in the world does it really mean that he careth for me? What does it mean that God cares for me? And I looked into it and the word casting in verse seven occurs one other time in the New Testament and it's during Palm Sunday and the disciples have been sent to get the donkey for Jesus to ride on. And then verse 35 says, they brought it to Jesus, casting their garments on the colt. They set Jesus on it. So the meaning is, is really straightforward. If you have a garment on and you want an animal to carry it for you, you cast the garment on the animal. In this way, you don't have to carry it anymore. It's on the animal, not on you. The donkey works for you and it lifts your load. And so God is willing to carry your anxieties the same way a donkey carries the baggage. But when Peter is writing to the church to cast all of your cares upon the Lord for he careth for you, he's not suggesting it. He, it's not some just encouraging letter, but Peter demands it. Peter commands it. He doesn't just say whatever you're willing to give to God, he'll take care of, but the, the apostle Peter commands to cast all of our anxiety upon him. It's a convicting word of the Lord. 
It speaks to every single person who's struggling with fear and guilt and shame and much worry and all these feelings that this broken world can cause you to feel. And Peter's trying to tell the church to cast those feelings upon the Lord. Trust the Lord with it. For the same God who was willing to carry the cross for you is willing to carry everything that an old dirty cross consists of. And that is all of your sin. And that's all of your fear and your worry and your anxiety. That's why he went to the cross, church. That's why he laid down his life. Not just so that you could be saved, but so that he could help you in the here and now. He can answer your prayers. You're back into fellowship with him. You are of the redeemed. You are the church, his bride. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. For more information about Pursuit, visit PursuitChurchAR.com. Thank you for listening and see you next week.